welcome to episode number five of Dano Says So. Uh, my guest, Russ Rankin, is somebody who has traveled in the same circles as me for the better part of the last 30 years or so. But really, it's in the era of social networking that we've become social. Uh, prior to that, my biggest connection to him was that, you know, two of his CDs in 1998 pretty much got me through tour on a, uh, on a, on a disc man of all things in my downtime. So I owe you for that, sir. Um, thank you for doing this. You're welcome, Dan. All okay. right. Um, Russ's band's Good Riddance and Only Crime are uh, two of the more, I think, exciting things to come out of our generation that sort of take a person who came up in hardcore and ends up in much more broadly visible punk rock in a sense. I don't know how you feel about that. Only Crime was kind of a blind spot to me, and I was listening today. I really like the way you handled the vocals there, just so you know. Thank you. It was cool stuff. Um, let's get right into it. Uh, thoughts and Prayers came out in the middle of the second half of last year, yeah? Yes. Okay, and by what I see online, you know, if you look at quarantine starting in March, you lost at least a U.S. tour or an East Coast and Canada tour and Europe, yeah? Yeah. How's it been we processing three, that? Three tours. Oh, it's just brutal, but it's it's not like it's just us, you know? It's uh, And we're all kind of lucky because we've been in the mode of everybody's got other jobs and other things to do. Oh, well, I mean, everybody's job's sketchy now too, right? But right. we we don't do this band full-time anymore. Uh, but it, yeah, it was definitely a big, big setback, especially with, like you said, the new release. And we're like pumped to go play it in Europe, especially, like, because we haven't, we haven't really played a lot of the songs over there. So that was a bummer, but... Do you find that feeding into any resentment or any annoyance you might have with anti-maskers, with people that are maybe irresponsible about things? Because to me, to me, COVID, you know, I'm not an epidemiologist. We could be looking at a shorter window and better containment if people would just grow the fuck up. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you look at, like, Canada or pretty much any other country that's, that's like, gone about it the, the right way and, and has people buying in more. Mm -hmm. But you've got a, you know, Americans, America's got a long history of having a, uh, a tenuous, if even existing at all, social contract. So it's, it's not a surprise that we're not able to act in our own best interest. We kind of have a history of it. It's been a tough year on that front. I mean, you're active on the social networks. I, I, I tell myself I'm there primarily to promote my bands and things like that you know, in my own social agenda, I would imagine you share something like that a little bit, but I'm wondering if your experience this year has been like mine. It's taught me a lot of unfortunate things about people that I didn't realize. People whose, you know, makeup I maybe really didn't fully grasp until the times got rough. I, yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like you're talking about like, hey, I, I knew this person for a long time, but I never knew they were like this. Is that what you're well, talking about? Well, I mean, there's two different things. The hard right-leaning and a lot of the racial politics have been a shock to me because I thought I came from pr pretty progressive stock, okay? But also, the whole pandemic conspiracy theory mindset I really thought was beyond, quote-unquote, my people, you know? Yeah, no, yeah, I, I agree. I, I've had some, some people, like, I mean, I, I just get killed on social media da daily, and some of the people that do it, like, they're just reading me the riot act about, like, 
I thought you were punk. I thought you were gonna not not buy into this systemic lie that there's a right this illness going on, and it's like, whoa, dude, like, okay, like you lost me. <laughs> I mean, I my my job just closed down again. If that's because of a fake virus, I'm pretty surprised, you know. No, uh, yeah, I think I think this notion this notion of, of great vast international conspiracy and it all all tracking back to big pharma who is certainly an ugly toxic money driven machine but is just childish and so easily disproven you know i agree yeah 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 um do you have anything predictive do you have any opinions about when you think you might be able to get back out on the road or do you not even try and think like that you know, initially I, I was, I didn't have, the context I had was like, you know, swine flu or, or West Nile and like, okay, this will, this will burn itself. Like those things seem like they all ran a course and then went away. Right. And then this thing, this thing doesn't run, it doesn't go away until there's a vaccine. So, uh, so I, I really, I thought it was going to be like three months, four months, tops mm -hmm. when, Mar when like, when March happened, I was like, okay, maybe by the middle of summer. Right. Now, I don't, I don't know now, like our shows, like we're rescheduling as is everybody else for like, for like late spring of next year. To me, spring the craziness, next year to start. Yeah. There are places where I think the, the story of COVID has been exactly what you just described. There are European countries where the curve was flattened and where the story looks like what you just described, even in the absence of a vaccine. You know, it's amazing that we as Americans, you know, one of the more technologically advanced and certainly one of the more moneyed countries in the world, can't travel to other countries. We're we're the verboten ones now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm my surprised. my condolences to you on that front. Um, That's okay. You are a decidedly political person. Um, you have a pr pretty pronounced agenda, which I think is well communicated in your music. You shared with me not too long ago uh, – story of a key member in your family and i think you know who i'm referring to yeah i doubt that very many people watching this know what stock you come from you want to go ahead and share with with uh the people watching what you shared with me well it's, it's interesting because my dad's you know my dad is a lawyer his sister was a lawyer uh, but then my dad's dad was also a lawyer and i knew him only as grandfather you know like he he passed away before i really knew a lot of this stuff mm -hmm. but it turns out that he was the Assistant Attorney General of the United States under Dwight Eisenhower. Uh, turns out he was on the Warren Commission. I mean, there's video clips on YouTube of him hanging around the Oval Office with Lyndon, Lyndon Johnson. It's pretty crazy. And yeah. he also, he, he argued the government's case to desegregate schools in Brown versus Board of Education. Mm -hmm. And he also argued on behalf of the ACLU, a landmark case, uh, this indigent guy had got caught uh, robbing a, a convenience store and didn't have enough money for a lawyer. And the ACLU stepped in and my yeah. grandfather argued the case and won. And now if you get arrested, they, they'll provide you with an attorney if you don't, if you can't afford one. So it's uh, pretty, pretty crazy stuff. Like, like all that, it's just gnarly. Very much so. It's, it may be interesting to, to hear from your family who was, you know, of age at the time, whether, you know, uh, school desegregation you know even the warren commission whether it brought down much danger on his head or much 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 you know 
Do you know if it, it put him through much? Did, did he catch a lot of, you know, backlash? He never, he never talked about it. He never talked about it. Really? Uh, uh, even my, I have a brother that's two years younger that, that went with a video camera to interview my grandfather when my grandfather was toward the end of his life and trying to get stuff out of him mm -hmm. for posterity. And, and right. my grandfather was like not, wasn't saying anything about anything. Yeah, it's just so, it's almost yeah, generational love. Huh? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But what's crazy is like he, he, he was, you know, so like he was against against segregation and and did all this stuff that like in hindsight you would think is mildly progressive or or made the world a better place and he was a Republican, you know, serving under the Eisenhower administration. I always think about what my grandfather would think if he could see the Republican Party today, how I mean, fucking pissed he'd be. Exactly. I mean, yeah, Eisenhower, at least in my mind, and I'm you know someone like Vic Bondi will make me feel pretty politically naive. But Eisenhower, particularly what he had to say going out the door, was maybe the last redeemable Republican, in my opinion, you know? Yeah. I mean, his whole bit about the military-industrial complex could not he, have been he popular. Was, he was spot on. Yeah. He was spot on, man. Yeah. Right, well, I was, I was thrilled when you told me about that, and I got a kick out of, I got a kick out of firing up the, uh, the Google machine to search yeah. out a legendary ranking. It's pretty, pretty crazy. It really is, you know? My my counterpoint to that is the exact opposite. My grandfather was a professional wrestler. So, <laughs> you know, we're a little bit different that way. Well, I was supposed to be a lawyer, too, and I dropped out of high school. So what do you want? And there you go. Yeah, and I dropped out of community college. So we're a couple of scholars. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, so the two big brains are about to argue some politics. You and I share a lot of the same social positions. We have a very different opinion about how those compel one to act in the upcoming election. Um, I personally believe that, yeah, no diamond, but I'm going to vote for Joe Biden. You? I'm asking. Uh, okay. <laughs> you are, no, I will, I will not be voting for... eye contact is not always easy. <laughs> I would not be voting for the... I will not be voting for the Democratic Party. Uh, I... I mean, I don't know how, how whether I'll probably respond to some questions, but like mm -hmm. I, I'm a I'm a registered green, and and mm -hmm. I've always felt like why would I why would I why would I like rally behind this like kind of watered down version of what my ideals are when I've got the real thing right in front of me? Uh, I think that I mean the system is stacked against it, and that's my biggest fight. My biggest mm -hmm. fight isn't against isn't against a, de a Democrat or, or a mm. Republican. My biggest fight is against a, a, an entrenched system which, which, stifles, uh, which stifles choice and people's voices and the ability to, to make some kind of substantive change. Yeah. Uh, that, that's, what, that's what my fight is with. I don't necessarily think that you're wrong. To me, to me like central to what you're saying is sort of, that the, the two-party system, as it exists, I mean, it it belongs to moneyed interests. You know, it's a for-profit system. There's no two ways about it. And in that, you and I think the same way. Um, I don't agree with anything what I know about as far as, as the Green Party goes. And I think if you and I had this argument, debate, conversation, I mean, it's obviously friendly, even four years ago, eight years ago, my side of the conversation would, would have been a little bit different. 
I do think the GOP is still the GOP and the DNC is still a dissatisfactory entity. But I do not think Trump is a run-of-the-mill representative of the GOP. I think he's something more toxic. And this more so than maybe eight years ago, I find it hard to do anything but back the mechanism that's most likely to get him out of the way. I understand. I mean, I get it. Mm-hmm. I get it. I, just, I disagree. Um, fair enough. My thinking is, and it's not so much in some black and white thing where it's like a going to be a heavy moral judgment because you're obviously motivated by the right things, but I would just hate to be having the same conversation four years from now, and I only see one way out of it, you know? You said something online that I found powerful, which was, you know, every year we're going to find an excuse to say, not this year, not this time, wait for, wait for a better opportunity, wait for something like that. That argument works for me against a Mitt Romney. That argument works for me against a Bush, against a party-line Republican. This man's destroying the decorum of the office. You know, respect for the – you and I favor a piece of entertainment that's very, very – romantic about the presidency yeah this guy makes the notion of the presidency a political yeah like I, i'm not i'm not I'm definitely gonna be here to to defend this guy uh mm-hmm. i just think that he's a symptom and, and he's not the problem and i think that i've been i've been hearing that same thing wait for a more convenient season for 20 years and i think that people who are upset like I get told at least two times a day that I'm that I'm going to be voting for Trump if I vote green, mm-hmm. or that I'm or that I'm going to help Trump win if I vote green. I hear it all the time, and I've heard it for 20 years with the, with whatever the horrible Republican. Well, congratulations for sticking to your guns, me. then. But I just think I think that it's it's bigger than than Trump, and I think that maybe it's got to get this bad for us to fix the broken system that we have because. What I don't like is that that like my my party's candidate in two different occasions has been arrested just trying to attend a, a presidential debate. You know, really? these are these are men and yeah, men and women who are on the ballot for president. And in two thousand four was David Cobb arrested in St. Louis trying to go to a presidential debate. And by no all rights by all rights he should have been on the stage with those people. And then Jill Stein was was handcuffed and detained during a Hofstra debate in 2016 and then released without being charged as soon as the debate was over. What was the supposed justification? Trespassing. Really? And that, and that brings me to the CPD, which is the, this, this commission on presidential debates, which not a lot of people know about. And they, but it's a bipartisan Republican and Democrats controlled private organization that controls where the debates are, who the moderators are, what questions are asked, who the sponsors are and who can attend obviously. And after Ross Perot, but it is way into the debate in 1992, the CPD mm-hmm. was formed to be like, never again, that is never happening again. So now there's all these arbitrary rules. There's all these arbitrary rules about a percentage of the vote or the percentage of the, of the um, electorate that you have to get to be invited to a debate. And it's of course the bar is so high that no third party can ever reach it. It's so, so high that it, got, it, it, it protects the established norm. Exactly. And so when you watch People in America don't understand that when they watch like the debates on network mm-hmm. television, that they're being exposed to doctrine. And people don't know that when they watch the news, the news, 
And anytime a person mentions both parties or the two parties, mm -hmm. the viewers being exposed to doctrine. And that's what I think needs to change. Like if, if you get them all up there and you get them a fair shot and more people vote Democrat or Republican, I get it. Uh, they're probably more representative of a larger swath of people. But to completely blackball and arrest and block uh, other other voices out of the conversation, um, and then we have a you know we have less than 50% of our population even bothering to vote as a result. And I think that if people looked on the, at the debate stage and saw the Libertarians and the Greens and the Democrats and Republicans, kind of like what Canada does. I mean, do you think that do you think do you think that the lack of an inspiring option or of true choice is what creates that apathy, or do you think it's the same spoiled me first crap that runs through, say, the anti-masking anti thing? Voting doesn't strike people as immediately profitable or convenient. And I honestly think, I honestly think laziness much more than conviction plays, I agree. plays, plays, I agree, plays a I role think, in low voter turnout. I agree, but I do think that if you had more choices, mm -hmm. I mean, Canada, when uh, there two elections ago, they had over 80% turnout. And this is the company. This is the company that just. I mean, we we no longer have a free press. Canada still does, for the mm -hmm. most part. So it, Canadians are like, oh, there's five parties there. I'm gonna, you know, it's on the news. It's everywhere. It's walk down the street. You see, you see posters. We've nope. we've gotten to this point now where it's so like, it's so narrow and myopic that that like, the majority of people who could be helped by engaging in the political arena are are just marginalized out of it from the gate. What. What to you defines a free press? Like an example that exists today, uh, like the BBC, the CBC. Right. Like boring, boring television shows that nobody Democracy likes, Now. Democracy Now, but, but I mean, Democracy Now is slanted, but because it's, Democracy Now is, is, a, is a response to something. Sure. Okay. I mean, democracy Now wouldn't need to happen in a free press. In a, free press, you would, in a free press, people in America would know that presidential candidates were arrested at a debate. That story was reported in The Guardian, it was reported in the BBC, it was reported in Australia and Canada, but it was not reported here. At all? No. I mean, uh, to a significant level. But, I mean, only, only in as much as I somewhat had my ear to the ground and I was completely unaware of it, I'd say you're right. You know? so that's, and, that's, and the thing is, that's not, it's not an accident. You know, people, people tell me like, oh, I didn't know that there even was a Green Party. Like, yeah, well, you're not supposed to know. I come out of the big thing that you and I knew we were going to talk about today. Not necessarily changing my plans, but having a greater understanding of where you're coming from. And a lot of what you've just said is very difficult to argue with in terms of, in terms of a big picture grasp of both the flow of information and the truth about the parties. So, I mean, I appreciate you. We knew we were going to do this, and I appreciate you. I appreciate you bringing a level and reasoned response. Not that I suspect anything else, but while you were talking, I was thinking it's great that people are going to hear this. No, um, and it's like real, just real quick. Like the, the biggest problem for me, it's not, it's not like it's not Trump or anything like that. It's, it's that we need to, we need to get rid of the electoral college. You know, like we, we got you and I are yet again, yet again, a president that lost the popular vote and still gets to be president. Like, talk about a reason not to vote. Like, why bother? And then we need to we need to institute, institute ranked choice voting. Ranked choice voting. There's no more spoilers. There's no more wasting your vote. Like it it works. It's worked. It works everywhere that it's instituted. 
And I also think that we need to disband the CPD, this private cabal that controls our, our elections and our debates and puts on a little show for America where, wherein people believe like, ooh, they're so different. Uh, or look at them fight and argue back and forth. And then you've got 50 anchors breaking down like facial expressions and responses. We need to get rid of that. We need to have open, open debates. So let, let Americans see what their choices are. Let Americans see who this person is that's gonna be on, on my ballot. And not even like who they are, but what the platform is. Because I think another problem is we're, get, we're way too into personalities and not the actual platform. You're not wrong. What I was just, I was think going back to our shared appetites when it comes to fiction. Um, so my thinking here, right, is that, uh, and try and frame this as either a practical, a pragmatic, or a moral argument. And you do very well with with the moral argument. And I think I'm trying to argue the pragmatic, the pragmatic short game. You know what I mean? I'm trying to talk a six month battle. You're trying to talk big, big picture future of the country. But so Dan, I, I get you, and I, I think you're right about that. But but don't wouldn't you agree that it's that the last 20 years have been like a, a series of six month battles? Like I do. All, all we I all do. we do all we do is we kick the can further down the road, and we don't fix anything. And so that, instead of I mean this with no condescension, I mean this with actual just thinking about specific years of my life. I'm 52. How old are you? Same. Okay, cool. So we we've lived through all the exact same things. My thing is literally, I'm not a party line Democrat. I would like to think I'm an issues by issues voter, right? Typically, I have voted. I have I've voted for the Democrat, thinking that I'm voting lesser of two evils, and I've abstained in one in one in one adult election. All right. My thing with Trump is not my usual resistance to what I consider the toxicity of the GOP. I have a very romantic view of the American presidency, or at least of its potential, and of the potential of the American system. And in my 52 years, more than any other person, you know, every four years we're having this conversation, more than any other person I've witnessed, he's an insult to the office. He has all but scrubbed every last ounce of decorum from every procedure surrounding it. He has lowered respect for the office internationally on a level that will take multiple presidencies to recover from. And I cannot in good conscience be a part of potentially letting that continue. This, which is why I honestly believe this, Russ, that eight years ago, four years ago, we'd probably agree even more. For me, it, it comes down to, for me, this really has a lot to do with this man. You know? Yeah, I get it. I get it. So, I don't like him either. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I thought that was good meat on a conversation I'd really been looking to, forward to having. So thank you for indulging me. Um, meat is the wrong word for you. That was really good content. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so on Romanesy and surrounding the presidency, we both have a big, big fondness for the West Wing. Yeah. Um, did that occur for you in real time when it was on the air or after the fact? It didn't, you know, I, I knew we were going to talk about it. So I was thinking about it. Uh, I sort of remember it being on, mm -hmm. but I was too, I was touring all the time and I never really, I didn't really do, I wasn't home a lot to like watch TV or anything. And I didn't put, I didn't put together that it was an Aaron Sorkin thing. Cause a few good men is my favorite movie of all time. Always mm -hmm. has been. And, well, Sorkin dialogue is incredible. Yeah. So I didn't get it. You know, I didn't know. And then, and then I think somebody suggested it, you know, a few years ago. 
and then I was I I dipped in on Netflix and I was like holy fuck man like I missed out like this this is how people survived you know George W Bush's uh, presidency right. uh, at least the first term and right and that's been and I'm 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 like you like I've got a I've got a weird soft spot for for government and White House mm-hmm. and and just pe- you know smart people with the right with their heads in the right place trying to make the country better like that mm-hmm. whole that whole uh, drama and then of course his his writing you know and the characters and and well, I just I love it I almost feel I almost feel like they wrote Josiah Bartlett to give my father and by osmosis me just a splattering man crush because clear down to the Clear down to the youth, clear down to his fondness for Notre Dame, clear down to the yeah. Jack Kennedy grooming, everything. Yeah. They were like, yeah. he was everything my father grew up looking up to and everything that I first understood about the pre- about the supposed concept of the hero present, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he um, reminds me of like, a, like an amalgam of like of Bill, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama for like that, that, per, that type of, that type of person that like mm-hmm. just oozes charisma and seems to know always what to say and what to do in the right moment. And then as a green, like it, you know, there's a couple moments where Bartlett just lets me down hard, but for the most part, yeah, I love the guy. Yeah, I mean, supporting cast. What did you think of those port, those, those uh, post Sorkin seasons? The seasons, uh, I think it's after season four, or whatever. But particularly the Santos Kennedy uh, candidacy seasons and all that. I mean, I thought they were great. It was years after the fact that I found out he didn't write those and has never watched those. I, I knew as I was watching the first few seasons, I read about it, and then I, so I, unfortunately, I had that in my head when I watched them, and I didn't think they were as good, but I, I enjoyed them just all all the same. Like, I, I wish there was more. I wanted to see, you know, a Santos administration. Yeah, in the closing season of that thing, he predicted the victory of a minority candidate. You know, this that was pre-Obama. Yeah. It was pretty yeah. gnarly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the uh, the notion of two punk rockers who can have a good who can have a good vigorous debate about something political, um, two guys who use the word radicalized to refer to themselves, you know, is interesting that we can both then be such dorks about that show. Like we both posted fairly goofy memeish things in its praise. On the word radicalized, uh I was thinking about this when I was listening to you sing in the car today. You wake up one day and the voice is gone. The chords are gone, right? What's your vehicle? How do you get it out there? Because you clearly right now benefit from many, many, many people hearing things that matter to you. You couldn't sing anymore. What would you do about it? I would keep singing and I would just be Leatherface. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> oh, you're certainly no, I don't know. my question, you bastard. I would, I would, uh, no, I, I've always wanted to write more. Like I used to do a column in Ant Magazine for like over 10 years. Yeah. I've done op-eds. I've done op-eds for like uh, just a bunch of magazines. Alternative Press was the biggest one that I did. Mm-hmm. And I've had done columns here and there, and I've always wanted to keep doing that, and I've got good feedback from it. When one, does so an that op-ed, would be, when one does an op-ed in Alternative Press, what do you end up writing about? I, mm-hmm. uh, I, wrote, I wrote about uh, the death penalty. And how futile it is. So they let you. They let you go to. They let you go to the big issues. Interesting. Yeah, uh, Vanessa, who's our did our, does all her press at Fat. She's the one that always pitches me these things. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, well, what do they want me to write about? You know, like white belts or or uh, <laughs> my face haircuts or. And she's like, you can write whatever you want. And I'm like, really? 
I'm gonna write a biography about this. And she's like, she's like, that's cool. So I wrote this big old thing, and and um, and it was cool, and got a lot, got a lot of good feedback. And then I got a lot of y'all hate mail too, which I always get when I talk about the death penalty. So it was cool. Oh, well, kudos. Um, I've been trying to get these cleaner, crisper. I went into this one with the most clear uh, outline. That said, before I go and reach for the button to uh, put a wrap on this thing and thank you, is there anything I've skipped, anything you hope to say today that I didn't get to? I don't think so. I just, I really wanted to, to, to make my case for, for fixing the system and not just not having the, to me, it's a little bit myopic to just be like, okay, we got to get this guy out. Like, I get it. He sucks. But um, if we keep doing that, none of these other things are going to change. And at some point, maybe we got to burn it all down and, and really address it. And, uh, but I, you know, I, I definitely get it. Like to me, this, this person is a, is disgrace in the office. Like you said, like, I absolutely agree with that hundred percent. And no one will be happier than me when he's gone. Uh, but my, my, you know, put up the blue bandaid, I'm not going to put it on. Well, here's the story. I asked you to do an interview in this, in this sense, I like them all to be conversations, but you are my guest. So I'm going to let you have the last word on that. one. All right. Because you and I, you and I can keep banging at each other with the same points. I want to thank you so much, Russ. Uh, thank you, Dan. Really appreciate was, it. It was exciting. I was uh, very, very honored by your enthusiasm about this. And uh, I'd be happy to do it again sometime. I would love it. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.